here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. And it's warm in here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm a kind of a, you might call a demi, semi-hemi-demi celebrity. I'm, I'm recognized every once in a while. Thank you very much. Lovely to see you. Um, but, you know, not like real, I, I've seen real celebrities in action with their uh, uh, large delegations of security surrounding them. I, I, I can tell the difference. But even on my level, I, I, I oh, and even in, in, just as a spectator, I know the kind of perks, short for perquisites, thank you, celebrities can avail, uh, avail themselves of, which they can. Um, just one example, friends of mine were nominated for a Best Song Oscar a few years ago for a movie we were all in. And uh, that meant that the doors opened to, uh, among others, me, at all those little uh, gift gifting opportunities that um, are made available to people who are in the golden circle at the Oscars, that is to say, have their name on something. Um, gifting up, you know, where you can go and uh, spend a few minutes and pick out some things that you'd like and um, and then just take them away with you and... Uh, Bob's your uncle, as the British like to say. No no funds exchanged. Something of value is exchanged, because if you're a celebrity at that level, you appear in public, and you are photographed a lot. And uh, that, as the people in the marketing business like to say, is a, a lot of good marketable real estate. It's worth somebody's money to, to have you wearing or carrying or driving or drinking something that other people might then go, oh, I want that. that. As I say, that's just one of the ways that the rules of normal life you would pay to wear or drive or drink that don't apply to celebrities who are paid to wear or drive or drink that. And it it's true pretty much across the boards. The normal rules very often don't apply to celebrities. The point of the exercise is this. We've been told pretty much since day one of the fast, sunsetting Trump administration that uh, this guy, <laughs> the uh, President Trump, has changed politics forever. His norm-busting behavior, uh, we're constantly told, that's... That the apple cart cannot be uh, unupset. The uh, toothpaste can't go back in the tube. All the metaphors you you might like. And I've been saying since day one, not so fast. One of the major reasons he got elected was he was a television celebrity. I I watched just one, 
but one was enough episode of The Apprentice, and I saw the carefully crafted image of him, crafted by uh, Mr. Mark Burnett, that was uh, beamed into people's living rooms and hence heads for about a dozen years on national television. And once I saw that, I realized, oh, that's who people think he is. That's why he can't be fact-checked. That's why he, they think he's that. He's the judicious decision-maker sitting under the halo light with, with the print, flanked by the prince and princess. He's a TV celebrity. And the rules don't apply to him. And during the midterm election, a couple of people in, I think, southern states tried to uh, run campaigns and tried to be, to, uh, in, for lack of a better word, tried to be Trumpy. And uh, they were smashed at the polls. Not drunk. I mean, the, you know. And then during the primary campaign last year, Joaquin Castro, remember him? He was running for president, front running for the Democratic presidential nomination. And during one of the debates, he seized the opportunity when uh, Joe Biden faltered to turn, to round on Joe Biden and say, did you forget that easily, sir? Did you? We were just talking about that two minutes ago. Did you forget that already? And the wrath of the Democratic Party establishment and membership came down on him like a ton of bricks. That was the reinstatement or the reestablishment or the reminder of the pre-Trumpian norms still being in effect for everybody else except television celebrities. And so, as, as I say, as we see the sunsetting of that, of that crazy little moment in time, I'm just saying, welcome back those norms. They're not going anywhere. Hello, welcome to the show. you 
We got that out of our system from the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the, of the show where it's time to follow the dollar. For the last few decades, one of the reliable refuges for elephants treated badly in circuses or otherwise on the continent of Africa, has been Botswana. The nation of Botswana became uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, home for elephants. Many of them, as I say, in refuge from uh, elsewhere. Like your Kenya, your Uganda. 
Then the government of uh, Botswana changed hands like a year or so ago. And that's all changed. This from the National Geographic. Conservationists and community leaders in the spectacular Ogavanga wilderness region of Namibia and Botswana are raising alarms over oil and gas exploration and potential production. They fear that would threaten the water resources of thousands of people and endangered wildlife. Like your elephants, your giraffes, your leopards. Recon Africa, they're going to... They're not just going to con Africa, they're going to recon it. No, it's a petroleum exploration company headquartered in Canada has uh, licensed more than 13,000 square miles of land in the two countries. The company's website says its intention is to open a new deep sedimentary basin, that is to say a new oil and gas field. The uh, basin is larger than Belgium. Recon Africa says it could hold up to 31 billion barrels of crude oil, more than the United States would use in four whole years. That's all. Four years. It's possibly, according to oilprice.com, the world's largest oil play of the decade. The initial goal of Recon Africa, already approved by the Namibian government, is to drill test wells about one and a half miles deep in the country's northeast starting next month to uh, see if the oil and gas is there and exploitable. Experts who've reviewed the impact assessment on the Namibian environment, point to serious problems in the way it was carried out. You know, almost as if the Army Corps of Engineers was doing it. Meanwhile, approval for a drilling permit in Botswana is underway. According to an f- investor presentation from uh, a few months ago, if Recon Africa finds oil, then the ultimate goal is to drill hundreds of wells in the area and open at least some of them using modern frack stimulations. That'd be fracking. A threat from oil drilling to one of the planet's most diverse ecosystems and to more than 200,000 people who live in the desert region boggles the mind, according to William Odendahl, former Land, Environment, and Development Project Coordinator at Namibia's Legal Assistance Center. That's a public interest law firm. Recon Africa's drilling areas overlap with a multi-country conservation park, six locally managed wildlife reserves, and one UNESCO World Heritage Site, and could affect another, the Okavango Delta, nearby. That region is home, as I said, to the largest herd of African elephants left on Earth, along with other critters, African wild dogs, lions, leopards, giraffes, amphibians, reptiles, birds, and rare flora. You remember her. Used to work in the... uh, cloakroom. Oil and gas infrastructure involves, quote, the construction of roads, pipelines, and buildings that could all negatively affect important animal habitat, migratory pathways, and biodiversity. That's according to the World Wildlife Fund. Fracking in particular is of ecological concern because it uh, it requires large amounts of water and has been known to cause earthquakes, pollute water, release greenhouse gases, and... um, Released also from reporting you've heard on this program recently, Radioactivity. Physicians for Social Responsibility, a U.S. nonprofit, reports that fracking for oil and gas can be disastrous for wildlife because it can poison the food chain, destroy habitat, and cause mass die-offs of fish and other aquatic species. 
But it is an effective way to wring more oil and gas out of rocks. you got to give it that. Asked about this by National Geographic, Recon Africa's spokesperson said, Recon Africa will ensure that there's no environmental impact from these wells. Not only not a bad impact, no impact. It's like it never happened. Really? Specific steps are taken uh, that are taken are part of our plans and verified by environmental auditors and technical specialists. Recon Africa follows international best practices, like what they do in Pennsylvania and Texas. Odendahl said the Cavago Basin license has come as a surprise to many people who would have expected to be aware of it. I didn't know about this, nor saw this coming. Even many who live in the affected region were unaware. I didn't know there was some company that would come to drill the oil, said the chairperson of the, a conservancy, about 50 miles from one of the test well sites. The conservancy makes money through sustainable hunting, welcoming Donald Trump Jr. back, I would say, and is a destination for wildlife-watching visitors. Namibia's Ministry of Mines and Energy is emphasizing the potential positive effects. Ministry didn't answer questions from Nat Geo, but said in a press release a couple months ago, the socioeconomic impacts of exploratory drilling will result in the employment of locals and many other benefits, such as new water wells for communities near the proposed drill sites. Well, yeah, but they're not going to see the water is going back into the fracking. The Namibian government holds a 10% stake in Recon Africa's oil and gas development. It's not yet clear what that share represents or what it will amount to. You might want to follow the dollar. Because that's what the elephants are going to do. By the way, I I do speak from some personal experience on this point. Uh, My wife and I spent somewhat more than a week, but less than two weeks, at uh, an elephant sanctuary in that delta in Botswana saw a bunch of elephants and um, all I can say ladies and gentlemen is is once you've encountered and spent any time with elephants uh, there's no going back and now Yeah. You, ladies and gentlemen, have probably been watching some television this week, seeing some people on your favorite network or cable channel. A little uh, bug-eyed as the week has gone on, confessing on the air on many occasions their lack of sleep. Now imagine honeybees like that. Bees that ingest non-lethal levels of popular pesticides resembling nicotine, known as nicotinoids, are losing sleep, according to research from Vanderbilt University. Uh, Disruption of their circadian rhythm causes honeybees to lose their sense of time and navigation. (laughs) Who needs those? No, it leads to broader stress within highly social bee populations and lower hive survival rates. There's long been a mysterious connection between neonic pesticides and their lethal effect on bees. They took off that these pesticides as a plant maintenance technique. The research led by uh, two scientists at Vanderbilt sought to explore the connection 
between neonic pesticides and uh, the bees dying off. Uh, the article was published in the journal Scientific Reports late last month. I was thinking about honeybee disappearances, and it clicked. If pesticides are killing bees indirectly, but we don't know exactly how, maybe it's because they're getting physically lost, says the lead researcher. Joined by collaborators, the team maintained healthy beehives to conduct experiments that explored how a widely used pesticide home so- sold in home improvement stores prevents bees from getting the rest they need. Single bee can pollinate up to 5,000 flowers a day. That's a busy bee. Their combined efforts support a third of the world's food crop production, is all. So um, bees were exposed to constant light, constant darkness, and light and dark cycles. The researchers found a surprising mechanism by which the pesticide acts. Constant light conditions disrupted the circadian rhythm in 28% of the insects when levels of pesticides common in flower, nectar, and pollen were added to the bees' food supply, the number jumped to 46%. When we observed bees that consumed neonics over several days, the normal circadian rhythms, they normally look like waves, we saw a loss of waves, movement, and random times, or signs of barely any sleep at all, said the paper's co-author. Exploring this disruption through mass spectroscopy, that's a technique that identifies and measures chemical compounds within molecules, the team found that neonics accumulate in the bee brain, not the pea brain, disrupting circadian clock neurons. Many no longer have regular sleep-wake rhythms, said the researcher. The bees that do have irregular rhythms that are sleep-deprived and skewed in their alignment in time and environment. Bees can't function as well if they're tired and disoriented. Beyond sleep disruption, we know that honeybees rely on their internal sense of time and the position of the sun. The other co-author, if they have an incorrect sense of time, their ability to effectively navigate is hindered. If a bee's internal sense of time is disrupted or altered, it could affect learning, memory, and foraging efficiency, even outside of reduced capacity from just sleep disruption. team intends to look further into the level of their findings at the mechanistic level, investigating the neural circuits of honeybees and the influence of neonics at the molecular level. Tom, help me out here. The molecular level. I needed that. to those who love not to wisely no not wisely but too well to the girl who sighs with envy when she hears that wedding bell to the guy who'd throw a party if he knew someone to call here's to the losers bless them all Here's to those who drink their dinners when that lady doesn't show. To the girls who wait for kisses underneath that mistletoe. To the lonely summer lovers when the leaves begin to fall. Here's to the losers, a bless them all. 
Hey, Tom, Dick, and Harry, coming out of the rain, those torches you carry must be drowned in champagne. Here's the last toast of the evening, here's to those who still believe, all the losers will be winners, all the givers shall receive. Here's to trouble-free tomorrows, may your sorrows all be small, here's to the losers, I bless them all. Tom, Dick, and Harry Coming out of that rain Those torches you carry Must be drowned in champagne Here's the last toast of the evening Here's to those who still believe All the losers will be winners All the givers shall receive Here's to trouble-free tomorrows May your sorrows all be small Here's to the losers Here's to the losers Here's to the losers Bless them all And while we're on the subject... Here's news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Arizal III. A survey of Tokyo 2020 sponsors has revealed no companies are planning on pulling out from their sponsorship commitments. An Olympic record 3.6 billion is said to be raised through Tokyo 2020 partners, but contracts are set to expire at the end of this year before the games are due to take place. They were postponed because of the COVID. According to the survey, companies are ready to honor the commitments, but there are significant worries about extra payments which may be asked for. According to Inside Sport, 80% of firms which responded to the poll by a Japanese newspaper said that additional contributions would be a critical factor whether deciding whether to continue with their deals. Tokyo 2020 was left with a sponsorship dilemma after these this year's games were postponed. The uh, newspaper heard back from 51 companies out of the 67 partners. None said they were thinking of ending their agreements. 39 said additional commitments would be a key consideration when deciding whether to extend. 20 firms said they were planning to continue with their agreements. 23 were undecided. 8 refused to answer. With the hosting of 2020 games next year remaining in doubt amid the continued restrictions, 37 companies said whether the games will actually be held was an important consideration for them. I should think so, it being an Olympic sponsorship and all. And a recent plan to simplify the proposed Tokyo Games, 
means the event is likely to see much less hospitality extended to high-ranking Olympic officials. That hospitality has fueled accusations of overindulgence in past games, according to Kyoto News. In an effort to cut the costs of the one-year delay of the Olympics, the organizing committee plans to reduce the level of hospitality spent on visiting IOC members next summer. There were parties somewhere every night. It seemed like almost the same people showed up, said the head of the Tokyo Organizing Committee. I've always wondered whether it is okay for the Olympics to spend this much money. Those involved with the games, such as the Olympic family, were able to party every night with free alcoholic beverages. That may not like it that the same will not be offered in Tokyo, but I believe the games will serve as a good model, he said. Yoshiro Mori, the president of the Tokyo Organizing Committee. During past games, the host had set up a VIP lounge at every venue, offering free services to members of the Olympic family. Kind of like celebrities. IOC members and those involved with international sports governing bodies, among others. At the Rio Games, they were also able to receive free food in addition to beverages. As the cost of the postponement soar, however, the organizers are also forced to strengthen measures to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. They have decided against offering the same hospitality in the Japanese capital. The members of the Olympic family are going to have to find their own food and drink because it's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day! I have to tell you one story in relation to this from my again from my personal experience i'm I'm heavy on my personal experience today, ladies and gentlemen, so sorry during the twenty twelve olympics in london i I did happen to be there and uh at the insistence of the International Olympic Committee, there was a games lane set aside on the notoriously narrow streets of central London so that the Olympic family members who were hoteled up in the swanky hotels in central London as opposed to the, uh, shall we say, more affordable choices on the east side of town where the Olympic facilities had been built. So they could, you know, travel that distance without worrying about, you know, ordinary traffic like taxi cabs and stuff. And so it was, if you were in London, as I was during that time, you noticed that while traffic was hopelessly snarled on the or- on the remainder of the roads, there was no traffic in the games lanes because they weren't go- they weren't going out to the games apparently they were sticking around shopping, doing the good shopping in central London or something or just hanging out at their hotels, which maybe they'll do in Tokyo as well. Who knows? We know one thing, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the election in here in the United States has been called. It's been a uh, a nutty week, in which I think Wednesday would would be my favorite. It was the day when uh, 
President Trump hereby officially claimed the states of Wisconsin and Michigan, and I think a couple others, as his. Uh, this was at the same time that uh, Corey Lewandowski, the one-time Trump 2016 campaign manager, was on the air claiming, uh, hereby officially claiming Pennsylvania as Trump country. It was a big day for hereby officially claiming. Um, and those claims, as it turns out, didn't quite stand the test of time. But still, there is a fight being waged by the uh, Trump White House and its uh, affiliated legal uh, helpers, including Rudy Giuliani. And so we, uh, we have that to look forward to. We should have stopped the vote count Shortly after it was begun I hereby officially declare that I've won I have won This is the biggest scandal that's ever happened under God's green sun I hereby officially declare that I've won Yes, I won You can't believe the media You can't believe the polls You can't believe the referees Or the way they count the goals You can't believe the hot dog You can't believe the bun I hereby officially declare I won I'm gathering all my lawyers to unspin what's been spun. Their only job is to help declare that I won. Yeah, I won. Nobody has ever seen the likes of what I've done I hereby officially declare much realer than my hair on a stack of my books I do swear that I won yeah I won Someone else 
getting tired of all the losing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Thank you. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Well, here's a surprise, ladies and gentlemen. We have to take care of of the big fish. I know, doesn't, doesn't, you'd think the big fish could take care of themselves, wouldn't you? An international team of scientists has found that leaving more big fish in the sea, and you'd think there are plenty of them, but uh, leaving more big fish in the sea reduces the amount of CO2 released into the Earth's atmosphere. Fizz.org explains, when a fish dies in the ocean, it sinks to the depths, thanks to the gravity thing. And that sequesters all of the carbon it contains with it. This is a form of blue carbon. She wore blue carbon. No, carbon captured and stored by the world's ocean and coastal ecosystems. But when a fish is caught, the carbon it contains is partially emitted into the atmosphere as CO2 a few days or weeks after says Gail Mariani, a Ph.D. student at the University of Montpellier in France. Mariani led a world-first study showing how ocean fisheries have released at least 700 million metric tons of CO2 into the atmosphere since 1950. An estimated 20.4 metric tons of it was emitted in 2014. That's equal to the annual emissions of 4.5 million cars. What are we supposed to do, eat the cars? 
Come on. Come on, man. Co-author, Professor David Mouillot at James Cook University and the University of Montpellier said the carbon footprint of fisheries is 25% higher than previous industry estimates. I think that's what happens when you ask the industry to estimate. Fishing boats produce greenhouse gases by consuming fuel, he said, and now we know that extracting fish releases additional CO2 that would otherwise remain captive in the ocean. We're talking about large fish such as your tuna, your sharks, your mackerel, and your swordfish. They're about 10 to 15% carbon. I eat them for the carbon. When these fish die, they sink rapidly, Professor Mayo said. As a result, most of the carbon they contain is sequestered at the bottom of the sea for thousands or even millions of years. They are therefore carbon sinks, the size of which has never been estimated before. That natural phenomenon, a blue carbon pump, has been increasingly and greatly disrupted by industrial fishing. See, we were supposed to eat fish, so we don't have the thing of raising the cattle. And now they're taking it all away from us, ladies and gentlemen. The authors also say the phenomenon has not only been overlooked until now, but it happens in areas where fishing is not even economically profitable. Fishing boats sometimes go to very remote areas with enormous fuel consumption, even though the fish caught in those areas are not profitable, and fishing is only viable thanks to subsidies. I said subsidies. For the authors of the study, the new data strongly supports more reasoned fishing, says Professor Muyo. We need to fish better. The study is published in Science Advances. And the rest of the world retreats. No, I believe in... Don't you? I, I, scientists have found evidence that frozen methane deposits in the Arctic, known as the sleeping giants of the carbon cycle, have started to be released over a large area of the continental slope off the East Siberian coast. This is from The Guardian. High levels of the potent greenhouse gas. It's potent, but it doesn't last as long. But it's potent, but it doesn't last as long. High levels of it have been detected down to a depth of about 1,150 feet in the Laptev Sea near Russia, prompting concern among researchers that a new climate feedback loop, like we needed a new one, may have been triggered that could accelerate the pace of global heating, as the Guardian puts it. The slope sediments in the Arctic contain a huge quantity of frozen methane and other gases known as hydrates. Methane has a warming effect 80 times stronger than CO2 over the 20 years where it uh, is effective. The U.S. Geological Survey has previously listed Arctic hydrate destabilization as one of the four most serious scenarios for abrupt, I said abrupt, climate change. The international team on board the Russian research ship, the Akademik Keldish, said most of the bubbles were currently dissolving in the water, but not methane levels at the surface were four to eight times what would normally be expected, and this was going to vent into the atmosphere. Hey, I'm going to vent into the atmosphere, man. Don't push me. At this moment, there's unlikely to be any major impact on global warming, but the point is this process has now been triggered. The East Siberian slope methane hydrate system has been perturbed, and the process will be ongoing, said a Swedish scientist on a satellite call from the vessel. The scientists are part of a multi-year international shelf study exposition. Stressed their findings are preliminary. The scale of methane releases will not be confirmed until they return, analyze the data, and have their studies published in a peer-reviewed journal. But the discovery of potentially destabilized slope frozen methane raises concerns that a new tipping point is about to be reached. They could uh, 
not be not be good news for all of us. The Arctic temperature is now rising more than twice as fast as the global average. The question of when or even whether these methane hydrates will be released into the atmosphere has been a matter of considerable uncertainty in climate computer models. The six-member team on the Academic Keldish believe they're the first to observationally confirm the methane release is already underway. Get your tickets now. And now, the Apologies of the Week. New ones. Think of that. We're so sorry. With a week to go before Election Day, Metro Detroiters who were watching <laughs> Bachelorette were informed that President Donald Trump had defeated Joe Biden in Michigan, and not by Donald Trump. He just uh, hereby officially proclaimed it, but that was later. The head of Channel 7 in Detroit has apologized for the too-soon flub that hit television screens Tuesday evening when the station accidentally displayed mock election results as the popular romantic reality show was broadcast. With 100% of precincts reporting, according to the graphic, Trump emerged victorious, 50, 50 to 44. The graphic also ch- showed Republican challenger John James beating incumbent U.S. Senator Gary Peters. The erroneous results displayed were random and should not imply a prediction, according to the head of WXYZ-TV, who apologized for the embarrassing blooper to the Detroit Free Press. Quote, WXYZ inadvertently declared an election result graphic this evening as part of our testing of the systems we will use during election night coverage. The results displayed were randomly generated by that system. We apologize for any confusion. We have taken steps to ensure this will not happen again. We're ending voting in... No, we're not. Deadline, Edgerton, Wisconsin. Wisconsin school is apologizing for a survey given to middle schoolers that included questions about abortion and drug overdoses. Like they should be paying attention to the real world. Mike Daly told WKOW in uh, that area. He was shocked, shocked at his 7th grader's assignment after learning his wife walked in on their 9-year-old and 12-year-old discussing what an abortion was. The 12-year-old social studies assignment is what prompted the discussion. The class was asked to fill out the Britannica 2020 presidential election survey, which included questions about abortion, drug policy, and illegal immigration. They still have encyclopedias? Edgerton School Superintendent Dennis Pauley apologized for the assignment, saying both he and the middle school principal, Clark Brethauer, agreed the survey was inappropriate for the age group. The social studies teacher has since removed students' access to the survey, and all parents of students who received the assignment were contacted and offered an abortion. No, they were not. Apologies needed to be made in Craig Carton's return to the WFAN airwaves. This would be in New York. He had to look inside himself, according to WFAN, and realize what he not only cost himself, but almost cost his formal crew. Quote, the morning show, what those guys did this morning on my behalf is amazing and means the world to me. He said, one of the reasons I asked to do this hour alone was because I feel like I have a lot of people to apologize to. There's a radio family also. I want to make it clear I recognize now something I didn't recognize at all in the beginning when my ego was far too strong. The precarious position I put the other guys on the morning show in. Boomer, Jerry, Al, Eddie, Bobby, and everyone else. And then came the apology. 
When I decided to make the bad decision I made, and I made them all by my decisions I made, and I made them all by myself. Unknowingly, I risked their jobs and livelihood. There was no guarantee CBS would let those guys stay there, and Boomer and I went through a tough period relationship-wise because of that. Boomer did nothing wrong. There was one other group to thank and apologize to as well. I felt that I owed you to owed it to you, the listeners. There's no Boomer. There's no Boomer and Carton without you. No ten years of success without you guys. I never felt I properly apologized to this audience. I recognize that, and I'm sorry. He's also thankful for the man who succeeded him in the morning slot. No idea what he said. <laughs> Not in the story. But he's sorry, and that's what counts. Deadline Raleigh, North Carolina First Lady Kristen Cooper apologized Thursday for a Facebook comment in which she said she flipped off President Trump supporters by the state capitol in downtown Raleigh days before the election. She's married to Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. He was re-elected to a second term. On Tuesday, Election Day, quote, my personal Facebook comments and actions leading to it were inappropriate, and I am so sorry. I apologize to anyone I may have hurt, and I ask for forgiveness, Kristen Cooper said in a statement from her press secretary to the uh, local newspaper. According to a screenshot of the comment that circulated on social media, she responded to a comment about the event on another Facebook user's private page. Her comment included, quote, There was a pitiful family group waving those flags by the Capitol today. I flipped them off and told them to go home. Was flipping off a brainwashed kid my finest hour? Probably not, but I can live with it, unquote. The event was a rally to encourage Christians to vote. Dateline Ocoee, Florida. Ocoee city leaders have signed a letter formally apologizing for one of the darkest periods in the central Florida community's history, the Ocoee Massacre. Who would have thought that was a dark period? It has now been a 100 years since African Americans were killed because they were trying to exercise their right to vote. The letter spells out that what happened a century ago is unforgivable and will not happen again. The letter stated in part, quote, Every member of the community of Ocoee of 1920 and to each descendant, both living today or deceased, our deepest apology for each and every atrocity that was committed against those individuals, unquote. The city stated the tragic events were brought on by a combination of socioeconomic and political exploitation of the black community. Would this have been the same year, or maybe a year earlier, than the racist massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma? It was a thing, then. Anne Hathaway is speaking out after a new film, The Witches, sparked backlash from the witch community. No, the disability community. The actress issued a lengthy apology after learning that many people with limb differences, especially children, are in pain over her portrayal of the Grand High Witch. Let me begin by saying I do my best to be sensitive to the feelings and experiences of others, not out of some scrambling PC fear, but because not hurting others seems like a basic level of decency we should all be striving for. As someone who really believes in inclusivity and really, really detests cruelty, I owe you all an apology for the pain caused. I am sorry I did not connect limb difference with the GHW when the look of the character was brought to me. If I had, I assure you this would never have happened." Unquote. In the film, Hathaway's character is shown with three fingers on each hand, a condition that's similar in appearance to 
ectrodactyly, or split hand. It's typically identified by missing central digits on the hand or foot. Hathaway added, and I owe a special apology to everyone who loves you as fiercely as I love my own kids. I'm sorry I let your family down. Unquote. There is a poorly received Harry Potter themed product, maybe a first, according to Ad Age. Last week, Me Undies, that's right, launched a new limited edition Harry Potter line of underwear and loungewear in partnership with Warner Brothers Consumer Products. Underwear, lounge pants, socks, bras, and robes have designed based on the four houses from Harry Potter. I have no idea what that means. And range from $18 briefs to $88 robes. Before the events of the past summer, the line might have well been well received by its pop culture-driven consumers. As it stands, the direct-to-consumer underwear brand saw swift backlash as it follows Harry Potter authors J.K. Rowling's heavily critiqued, critiqued tweets about trans people. MeUndies posted an apology to Instagram over the weekend, addressing customer questions about the decision to go forth with the Harry Potter line at this time, explaining why the brand cannot take the line down, and relaying it has set up an internal diversity and equity board to vet future partners. The brand also states it strongly disagrees with Rowling's comments. Many critics see the new line as contradictory to MeUndies' position on gender identity equality. The brand has strategically focused on building a brand based around inclusivity and diversity, filling ads with same-sex couples, and launching pride-themed underwear lines. For MeUndies, it's a lesson in how quickly the pop culture landscape can shift, even for a long-time hit like Harry Potter. In its Instagram apology, the brand explains that its initial decision to initiate such a line originated in 2018, when consumer research indicated Harry Potter prints were at the top of consumers' wish lists. MeUndies indicates in its apology it expected at least some backlash from Rowling's tweets even months later. Ultimately, we chose to move forward and hope the values of the Harry Potter story, acceptance, diversity, equality, would shine through. The company explains, can't take the line down because it's essentially trapped in the collaboration with Warner Brothers. Trapped in the name of love, a Glasgow, Montana wrestling club coach issued an apology on Facebook, and the Glasgow Chamber of Commerce Commerce issued a strong rebuke, all because the coach went to a Halloween contest last week, competed in it, wearing, yes, a Ku Klux Klan robe. Luke Morehouse, the coach in question, apologized in Facebook, he described the costume he wore at two local bars as, quote, distasteful and disgusting, unquote. More quotes, it was highly inappropriate. I feel horrible to the people in businesses that my behavior is hurt. I did not think of the repercussion. There's only one. And I'm truly sorry what started as an innocent costume escalated. There are no excuses for it, and I cannot take that back, unquote. The owner of the bar where Morehouse won the contest, who were the judges? Sam Nodell of Sam and Jeff's also apologized on Facebook. And the Glasgow Area Chamber of Commerce issued a statement calling the event, quote, unacceptable. Finally, Dr. Scott Atlas, an advisor on the White House Coronavirus Task Force, he's the outlier, he's the one 
who's not an epidemiologist or an infectious disease specialist. He's a radiologist. They're good, too. He apologized after appearing in an interview with Russian state broadcaster RT days before Election Day. In his apology, Atlas claimed he was unaware RT was a registered foreign agent. He would be, of course, the last one to find that out. RT America is registered with the Justice Department as an agent of the Russian government. RT's production company in the United States says its form is to, its role is to inform, not influence, and are not aimed at to primarily benefit any foreign government or political party. A senior White House official told CNN Atlas did not have clearance from the Trump administration for his interview with RT. Atlas, said the official, did it on his own without approval by the White House. Senior aides raised concerns internally after Atlas appeared on RT. RT said the interview was done from the White House property, which means somebody more than Atlas had to approve. He uh, misrepresented the effectiveness of masks, suggested that lockdowns kill people, and discouraged testing of asymptomatic people. He also criticized the uh, Health Metrics and Evaluation Institute of the University of Washington, which forecast almost 400,000 coronavirus deaths in the U.S., It's absurd to start looking at this model at this point, Atlas said. In July, the model predicted 208,000 Americans would have died from coronavirus by November 1st. In fact, 230,000 people have died as of November 1st. Stupid model. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. That's it for this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same station, same place in your audio device of choice schedule. It'd be just like Donald Trump not dominating the news anymore if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO for help with today's broadcast. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions, originating through the facilities of WWNO, New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. Remember, losing isn't anything, it's everything. So long from the home of the homeless.